Oh my goodness, you guys, I could, <laughs> I could destroy my whole my whole setup. I could just throw everything, dash it to the ground. I'm so pissed. <laughs> I started recording this and uh, something fucked up with the audio, so I'm having to re-record. <laughs> ah! So if I'm a little bit low energy in this version, my bad. <sighs> okay, frustration out of the way. Hi, I'm Koji. This is Why Nightmares. Welcome back. This is the show where I discuss really bad YA literature. And this week, we've got a pretty good one. Now, the interesting thing about this particular week is that when I started reading this book, I thought that it was going to be too good for the podcast. Like for the first couple of chapters reading through it, I was like, oh, this isn't, this is kind of interesting. And this has a decent plot at this point. And this actually might be too high quality and I might not be able to use it. It, it doesn't really qualify as a nightmare, right? Well, once I got further in, I realized, oh, wait, just kidding. This was shitty all along. Oh, wow. I was deceived. I was hoodwinked. I was bamboozled. It's a bad fucking book. So let's just jump into it because I'm losing my mind revisiting it again. <laughs> so this week we are doing need by Carrie Jones, and it is the first book in the Need series. Apparently there are five of these. Spoiler alert, I'm not gonna fucking read the rest of these because the first one was so goddamn boring. Um, as far as finding the book this week, I feel like I've mentioned it, but I can't remember if I have, sorry, but um, it's, it's kind of difficult finding a, a bad book every single week because if I don't have one in mind already, searching for them and finding a truly bad one, it, it's hard because most book websites are going to try to point you in the direction of a good book, especially Amazon. I kind of wish they had some sort of feature where I could reverse search instead of finding the top YA book of the month or the top YA book of all time. If they could just point me in the direction of the shittier ones, that would be great. If anybody out there knows how to do that, Holla at me. I don't know how to, but yeah, it was it was really hard this week. But I managed to find this one. Um, I want to say it was a Goodreads list. Yes, it was. I remember now. It was a Goodreads list of like the worst YA books I've ever read, that particular person. And it was a pretty hefty list. Um, and I was looking for a fantasy. When I noticed a lot of the books in that list were fantasy, I was like, okay, cool. This is where I'm going to base my book off of this week. Scrolled through. I saw like all the versions of Twilight and um, Matched and a couple other like really popular series. But this one caught my eye because of the cover. Um, it's, it's fucking, it's tacky. Like the cover, the cover of the book is tacky. So I was like, okay, sometimes, okay. So the, the it's, it's, kind of bad, you know, learn from me, probably don't pick your books this way, but sometimes the cover of a book is really, really interesting, and then the book will be absolute shit, but sometimes the cover will be just bad enough to let you know exactly what you are in for, and luckily, Need was one of those books. I'm just going to describe the cover real quick. So picture a pale white woman's face, right? But from the top, like right under the nostril, right above the nose, it stops, it starts there, pardon me, it starts there and it goes all the way down to the bottom of the neck. And that's what it looks like 
white lady mouth chin neck. Super pale. Her lips are full, pouty, you know? Golden lip gloss lipstick, sparkly. And then she's got some black feathers coming up near her neck. It looks like feathers anyway. And then the title of the book is in a really fucking awful font. Like if we if we want to really be nitpicky, that font is bad, sis. But it's bad looking gold font. And it just says Need by Carrie Jones. Okay. So I picked that one. Um, the reviews for it, just number wise, are not too bad. Again, kind of making me feel like maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree. Goodreads, it's a 3.71 out of 5. Amazon, it's a 4.3 out of 5. Pretty good reviews. However, the descriptions. Okay. <clears throat> I don't know who the fuck... If I was the author, and I wasn't the one that wrote these... I'd like to assume that the authors are the ones that write these descriptions, but if I had somebody else writing these for me, I'd be mad. Both of these are not good descriptions of this book. They're both really corny. So I'm, I'll read you I'll read you the Goodreads one. I'll read you the Amazon one. The Amazon one is definitely worse, but you can kind of get a feel for what I'm talking about here. So for the Goodreads description of the book, it says... Zara White suspects there's a freaky guy semi-stalking her. She's also obsessed with phobias. And it's true, she hasn't exactly been herself since her stepfather died, but exiling her to Shivery, Maine to live with her grandmother? Well, that seems a bit extreme. I mean, yeah, it is fucking extreme. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, the move is supposed to help her stay sane, but Zara's pretty sure her mom can't just can't deal with her right now. She couldn't be more wrong. Turns out the semi-stalker is not a figment of Zara's overactive imagination. In fact, he's still following her, leaving behind an eerie trail of gold dust. But there's something not right, not human in this sleepy main town, and all signs point to Zara. In this creepy, compelling breakout novel, Carrie Jones delivers romance, suspense, and a creature you never thought you'd have to fear. Hey man, I'ma poke a hole in that, and I'll be honest with you. Carrie Jones does not deliver any of that shit, okay? Bad romance, barely any suspense, and the creature's fucking dumb. But there we go. That's our Goodreads description. It's not awesome. The Amazon one, I think, is significantly worse. I'll explain why. So the Amazon one says, Zara collects phobias the way other high school girls collect Facebook friends. Cringe. Little wonder since she's had a pretty rough life. Her father left when she was a baby and her stepfather just died. Her mother's pretty much checked out. In fact, mom sent her to live with her grandmother in cold and sleepy Maine to, quote, keep Zara safe. Whatever that means. Zara doesn't think she's in danger. She thinks her mother just can't deal. Zara's wrong. The man she sees everywhere, the tall, creepy guy who points at her from the side of the road. Yeah, he's not a figment of her imagination. He's a pixie. And not the cute, sweet kind with little wings. Man's got a whole assortment of unbelievable creatures like pixies and weird people. And they seem to need something from Zara. Dot, dot, dot. Ooh. <sighs> okay. Clearly both of those are bad, right? But the one from Amazon is particularly shitty for a couple reasons. Number one, the grammar. Hey, man, that's trash. Number two, it's too fucking conversational. We are not friends. It's corny. The first line says she collects phobias the way other girls collect Facebook friends. What the fuck? Like, I know this was published in, like, 2008, I believe, but Jesus hell. And then the, um, it has spoilers at the end. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> 
that's the thing that's the most egregious. If I was really invested in this book, like, leave a little sum to the imagination. You fucking giving away the whole goddamn shit. It says he's a pixie. There's were people and creatures. That would have been cool to find out on my own. <laughs> you could have alluded to the fact that it was some sort of like spooky creature without saying straight up, hey man, that's a pixie. And also there's were people. Surprise. There's no mystery anymore. You don't even need to fucking read this. Like that's so bad. And that's it it's made worse by the fact that the Amazon reviews are are the high ones, the the 4.3 out of 5. With that description, granted I'm a grown woman, but with that description, I wouldn't be fucking with it. I think if I was a teenager, the the Goodreads description would be the one to pull me in even though that one's still not good. <laughs> but bad descriptions aside, let's just get let's just get into the plot. Let's, let's, let's do this thing. Oh, I'm exhausted already. Okay. <laughs> so let's get one positive out of the way. I do try to do that for most of these episodes. If there's something positive about the book, I will give Miss Carrie Jones her props. And there is really one really interesting thing. So it was mentioned in both descriptions, but the part about phobias that part was actually really cool. So Zara, our main character, has this thing where she is kind of obsessed with knowing about different phobias. And she has an almost like encyclopedic knowledge about phobias such that throughout the book, she'll drop these little nuggets um, into her descriptions. She'll say like, whatever, whatever phobia, and that's a fear of peanut butter, or that's a fear of the number 13, or that's a fear of mirrors. That was actually really cool. I think that if the character itself wasn't so hollow, like that that part about her, as weird as it was, was the most interesting thing about her. And it actually kept me kind of interested in her character. So Carrie Jones, you, you did that, sis. That was pretty cool. I wish that you had used that quirk of hers in some interesting way, like something a little bit better or try to weave it into the plot in some way. You keep thinking it's going to pay off and you're not just given these little like trivia tidbits, but no, it never pays off. So I will say interesting idea. It had a lot of potential. You killed that, but mm, there's some missed opportunities there. The rest of the book, however, If I can think of more things that are positive throughout as I describe this, I'll I'll mention them. But honestly, I think that's where the positive shit stops. Zara White is a she's she's not she's not like other girls. I've mentioned that before, but even she's admit she admits at one point like I'm not like most girls. She shits on herself a whole lot. <laughs> not literally, but she talks badly about herself quite a bit. And she is coming from Charleston to this really tiny town in Maine. She moves in with her grandmother after witnessing the death of her uh, stepfather. He has a heart attack in front of her, and it's really traumatic for her. And, oh, okay, here's one positive, one more. I did think about that. The way they depict her seeing her father die was actually really upsetting, and I was like, kind of compelled. I was like, whoa, that's that's super terrible. Jeez, you know, there was a, a bit of an emotional connection there. So there's another positive, a very morbid positive. But after she sees that, obviously she's a junior, you know, she's not going to handle it really well. And instead of giving her therapy and helping her grieve properly, her mother decides to just ship her off to Maine to go live with her grandmother because that'll solve everything, right? 
wrong, bad parenting. So she gets to this small town, moves in with her awesome grandma, Betty. Now, none of the characters are really, really um, fleshed out. They're not super dynamic, but I think that if I had to say who my favorite was, it would be Betty, just because she is portrayed as a really cool lady. Um, She's had a really interesting life. She's kind of, you know, rough and tumble kind of lady. When she retired, she didn't want to just sit on her ass and she decided to become like a volunteer EMT. And she's kind of quippy and she's fun and she seems like she would be a neat grandma. I actually like her. Zara moves in with her. They get on really well. There's no static there. The main thing is that Zara really fucking hates her mom. I kind of get why, (laughs) but she hates her mom for shipping her off and not really helping her cope with her stepfather's death. And so she retreats inward and it also, you know, it manifests into her researching phobias and things. So when she shows up in this town, it's incredibly small. So everyone knows everybody, especially Betty, everyone knows her. So no matter what's going on, people are like, oh yeah, Zara, that's such a weird name, which pause. Is that a weird name? They mentioned that like a couple times that Zara is an odd name or not even odd, but like a super unique name. I've heard that name a couple times in my life. I've never, it's never struck me as particularly odd or unique or whatever. I don't know. But yeah, everyone knows her instantly. Um, She is not really used to the snow. So very early in the book, she almost eats shit on some ice. And this guy named Nick, who is described only as hot. He has no other interest. I mean, he's sweet, maybe. But everything else, he's just hot. That's how he's described by literally everyone. But that's all Zara really connects with, is the fact that he is just really thick and macho and muscular and hot. But he sees that she's about to fall, and he saves her. They have a little mute cute. And it's pretty obvious that he's feeling her instantly. Instantly he's feeling her. Um, She makes an enemy because of that encounter. This girl called Megan, who is a huge fucking bitch, hates her instantly um, because she apparently has a thing for Nick. And she saw that Nick helped Zara not die on ice. And she thinks that that makes her public enemy number one whatever that pervades throughout the novel and it doesn't really pay off in any point. She just has like a weird high school bully situation, like five minutes into stepping foot in her school. I don't know. I've been to some pretty bad schools, but like I've never just instantly made enemies like that. So I don't know. Um, but she also has another little love interest, this guy named Ian who is cute, but he's not hot like Nick. He is pretty clearly feeling her, wants to be up under her butt all the time, wants to like take her to her classes constantly. He's thirsty. The boy's thirsty. He's simping pretty hard for her. So we have two love interests right off the bat. We have a high school bully right off the bat. And then we also have two friends instantly. Issy. I think it's just Issy. It's spelled I-S-S-I-E. Issy, right? I keep wanting to call her Izzy. That feels better. That's fucking, that's a weirder name than Zara, now that I think about it. Issy? Anyway, not going to judge this girl too much. She's really cute. Manny, she's a fucking manic pixie dream bitch floating around, being adorable. If you recall Twilight, I would liken her to Alice, maybe. 
Um, she also has another friend. His name is Devin. He's a dude in a wheelchair. He's really cool. Issy and Devin very clearly are feeling each other, but they're not dating yet. It's a little bit cute. I did smile a couple times at that, like their little cute relationship. Speaking of Devin and his wheelchair, which is a fucking, hey man, not a great way to start off a point, but here it is. How do I say this without sounding like an asshole? I kind of am not a fan of the way that they portray his paralysis or rather like his disabilities because they say he's in a wheelchair. They say he was in an accident. I don't believe they give us a lot of detail for the accident, but he's in an accident that's put him in this wheelchair um, and he can stand, but he can't like really walk or anything. And um, the way they frame it is like, it feels I don't want to be the boy that cried ableist, but it feels fucking ableist the way that they portray it because they make it seem like you too, if you have a strong enough constitution, can overcome this um, wheelchair and walk again. Like they said that, you know, oh, he, they said originally he would never even stand again, but he can stand now. And he, it's because he's a strong healer and he's going to like push through and da da da, which while a positive message, I don't know, just the way they frame it kind of seems weird. Like, I think that if I was a person in a wheelchair and I had like, you know, I knew I was going to be in the chair forever and I read that, I'd be like, eh. like it would rub me the wrong way. I might be looking too deeply into it, but I just felt it was a bit strange. Not the fact that he's in a wheelchair at all, just, just the way they frame it, you know. I do kind of like the author's attempt at inclusivity. Here we go. Here's another positive. We're We're... See, we're not completely a dick over here. No, I'm an asshole, but I'm trying, man. But no, her um, attempts at inclusivity are, I kind of admire it. Like she, she does try to show like some sort of awareness. You know, Zara comments quite a bit on the fact that like Maine, that small ass town has too many white people. She's white, but she's like, there's too many fucking white people around here. And um they do try to show like different types of people, like different types of bodies. Not everybody looks the same, da da da, aside from the race part. So there's there's a little attempt at inclusivity in terms of um, bodies and things like that, but <laughs> it's still an awful lot of white people apparently. Um, but once she, you know, instantly has all these relationships within literally the span of a day, she's got two love interests and two homies and an enemy. We get into the meat and potatoes, which is the encounter with the pixie. This guy has been fo fucking following her. He's just on the edges of her, like, you know, he's in the periphery of her vision all the time and he points at her. It kind of makes me think of Invasion of the Body Snatchers where the guy points and he's like, Wah. but anyway, always pointing at her um, and calling out to her and like beckoning her near him. And at first she doesn't know what to make of that. She thinks like, oh, this guy's just a murderous stalker, which rightfully so, one would assume that. I wouldn't think of anything supernatural. I'd be like, oh, this guy wants to fucking kill me. But this, this point in the book is where any illusion I had about the quality of the book totally stopped. It's dead, just stops, screeching fucking halt, just a quick skirt on 22s. Any inkling I had that this book might be too good for the podcast, it stopped right there. So after establishing that this, we have this issue with this guy stalking her, that's when her newfound friends decide to say, oh yeah, by the way, you know who it could be? You know who it could be that's stalking you? Also, 
there is a small subplot that there are young men going missing. Yeah, so they're like, you know who could be stalking you and stealing these young men? Pixies. Pixies. Pixies, you know? Like pixies? The ones from the the pixies? Yeah. That's what might be stalking her. And they give her this explanation about, you know, it could be pixies in the woods and it could be the pixie king and if you are turned into one you lose your soul and he could be looking for you to be his queen because you they need to have a queen and turn her um in order to ascend to higher power um and you know rightfully so like while they're explaining this zara's looking at them giving them the shitty eye and says like fucking like this is preposterous no will you fucking think i'm gonna believe this this is insane and then maybe a couple pages later she's like or is it (laughs) like literally she's she goes from fully like calling them out on their bullshit like no there's no way there's pixies too but what if there are though it's kind of laughable the quick change there's she was waiting to believe in something crazy that's what it really felt like she was like oh cool i always had a feeling there was something weird and supernatural about me like this is what i was looking for that's what it feels like almost but so she thinks that she's being stalked by pixies and her willingness to believe in it started really pulling the book downhill for me but also the way they described the pixies i was like oh this is fucking dumb as hell i see Oh, I was confused before, but now I, oh, okay, I see. This is dumb as shit. So the pixies that are described in the book, they are boring as hell. They're almost like lamer versions of vampires, which is so disappointing. It's so tropey. Like when they introduced the pixie thing, I kind of, you know, snorted, but I thought maybe they're going to do something cool with this, like make it really unique. You know, I'm used to more... Granted, you know, I love YA, but fantasy is not really my subgenre normally with YA. I am more of a realistic fiction gal, but most of my fantasy with YA comes in the form of vampires or werewolves, excuse me, werewolves or fairies. So Pixies, while I thought it was cheesy, I was still a little intrigued. What are we going to do with this that's different? Holly Black, she set the blueprint for really crazy fantasy and YA. I was waiting for some more innovation. I'd be waiting for the fucking rest of my life. Pixies are diet RC cola vampires in this. You have to invite them in or else they can't come in. Um, they have like pointed teeth. Uh, they can suck out your soul or something. That was part of it. It was like, um, if you have pixie blood and they give you a pixie kiss which what that's so fucking embarrassing that that's supposed to be the thing she's afraid of a pixie kiss yawn but if they pixie kiss you and you have fairy blood or excuse me fairy blood if they pixie kiss you and you have pixie blood they'll take your soul but you'll also just turn fully pixie i believe but if you don't have any pixie blood well sorry bitch they just have your soul and that's that on that bye you know um what else about them? It's silly. They have blue tinted skin. They can glamour. So, you know, what you're looking at as far as their appearance isn't real. Their actual appearance, they have blue tinted skin. They have um, silver eyes with black irises, I believe, which kind of sounds badass. They have pointed teeth and they, oh yeah. So (laughs) 
you know a pixie has been afoot if, like, okay, let's say, oh my god, I see a pixie out of the corner of my eye. Hey, get the fuck out of here. They run off. So you go over there to investigate, see what see what the vibes is. You look around on the ground. They've ejaculated glitter everywhere. I'm being crass, but basically you know that a pixie's been afoot if you go over there and they've left literal pixie dust. They leave gold glitter in their stead. And that's how you know that a pixie's been around. They're so lame. That's like the equivalent of the Twilight vampires, where, you know, going out in the sun and glittering. It's just so embarrassing. <laughs> and I wanted so much more, and I kept waiting for so much more. They're just violent and weird and glittery. <laughs> so fucking stupid. It's exhausting. <sighs> but yeah, so you find out she's being pursued by a pixie. Moreover, you find out that... Um, They've been kidnapping all these men, like these young men, and using them as blood bags because if they don't have a queen to feed off of, they get weaker, and, or not feed off of, but like, I guess so. T take her energy. They pull her energy and they turn more powerful, but until they can do that, they have to like drain the energy from lesser beings, and that's normally young men for some reason. So they've been getting kidnapped. Um, and as she's walking around, like, you know, being called to, that's the other thing. The, the pixie king that's pursuing her, like calls out her name and is like, you know, come to me, Zara. And she's like, nah, uh, uh, um, except this one encounter she has where she pulls like the ultimate white woman in a horror movie card. And she goes out in the woods very much. I know what you did last summer style and goes, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? <laughs> and like tries to you know pull him into this confrontation and it goes nowhere so moral of the story the pixie the pixies are fucking so lame but you end up finding out that the whole reason she's being pursued by the king pixie is because that's her real dad i want okay this is just me, but I thought it was going to be something way cooler. It was going to be some, like, I thought it was going to be another love interest. And I thought that would have been spicy and more exciting. It would have still been corny as fuck and, like, totally uninspired. But I was hoping that it was another romantic, uh, you know, romantic interest that was going to, I need you. Blah. I thought it was going to be sexy. Nope. That's her fucking dad. And she's half pixie, clearly, because the pixie king is her father. And... The whole reason that her mother, see, she was under the impression that her mother, you know, smashed and dashed on a man and then took her off to Charleston, you know, and had a baby and just was like a single mom and then married the new guy, Zara's stepfather that she, you know, knew as her real father and he passed away in front of her and it was traumatic, whatever. In reality, Zara is half pixie because her mom basically gave up her pussy as sacrifice so that the town wouldn't keep getting their boys kidnapped because they were doing the same shit. They were looking for a pixie queen. They were kidnapping a bunch of young men. And so Zara's mom was like, fine, you may fuck me um, if you stop kidnapping all these young men, which, oh man, there's a lot to unpack there. So... <clears throat> After the reveal of her sacrificial coochie, one has to wonder, okay, so if you knew, this is this is the other part where I was like firmly rooted in this is a shitty book. So if you knew that the place you came from had the Pixie King, 
that you have you fled from with your daughter why would you then in order to like help your daughter's grief send her back to that same dangerous situation like what are you fucking thinking that made no sense like bad mom dude bad bad mom not just bad because you wouldn't get her your kid therapy but also you're sending her right back into pixie country with no regard for her safety like what the fu- uh, yeah sorry let me try not to get mad again but yeah so it all culminates into this back and forth weird pursuit where the pixie's following her and beckoning to her and trying to summon her and then midway through the book this dog like she has this weird encounter and she's gonna go off to the woods but this dog runs off into the woods instead and he comes back he's got an arrow in him oh my god what's going on but wait where'd this dog come from the my love interest nick was just here where did he go oh no matter i'll just nurse this dog back to health and nick can go fuck off because that's what was going on she was uh hanging out with nick when this whole thing happened so she brings this dog and nurses it can you guess where this is going nick is the fucking dog you can't see it jerk off motion but you find out that nick is a werewolf you find out betty her grandma is a were tiger what the fuck and you find out devin her um homie in the wheelchair he is a were eagle because those are also a thing apparently so we have all these supernatural creatures they don't explain where any of these supernatural creatures come from they the only historical explanation they give is um basically in the beginning the world was run by five different factions of supernatural creatures and they were called the shining ones so it was like wares and pixies and like a couple other ones that's the only real explanation they give but they don't give anything else and she just fucking rolls with that she's totally fine with that so as she's falling for Nick, she keeps trying to convince herself not to like him, but really the way she describes him, she only like, let's keep it real. She only likes him because she's horny and she wants to fuck him. I hate to say that because she's a teenager and it makes me feel like a creep saying it that way, but they don't frame it any other way. She never gives any description about him that shows that she thinks he's smart or interesting or you know, they vibe on like some hobby level shit. Like they don't have really anything in common. She just, acts like she wants to hump his leg every time he steps onto the scene she's talking about how he smells musky and manly and his jawline and his ripped abs and his thick arms Ooh, he's got some stubble Ooh, his hair Ooh, his eyes like everything's just purely aesthetic so i mean she was ready and willing when she found out he was a werewolf she was like okay whatever i'm still giving up the ass you're hot so um but the the thing that was supposed to be kind of the misdirect is before she found out he was a werewolf, once she found out about the pixies, um, finding out like the, about the pixie kiss thing, you know, if a pixie kisses you, it saps up your soul. And she finds out from Devin and uh, Issy that Nick, the love interest has never kissed a girl and he's never dated anybody. And she's on some, he's either gay or he's a pixie because he's way too hot to not have kissed anybody. So when she, ends up finding out that he's a werewolf she is relieved <laughs> she's like oh he wasn't a pixie cool okay so let's find out if he's gay and then they end up making out and boom they're an item um i wish i could tell you that there's more interesting plot after that point 
but there's really not like it just becomes a formulaic like going out to the woods and trying to self-sacrifice and figure out where the pixie king is um and it turns into this weird there's a super weird scene where they're in the house and they're trapped in the top of the house while the pixies are running amok downstairs and the only thing that's really stopping them from coming upstairs is like a locked door and he keeps so this part is a little bit creepy i thought it was kind of interesting if it had been written a little bit better in this interaction, the way that they try to lure her downstairs is the Pixie King changes his voice to sound like her dead dad, and it almost tricks her. Like, she's so overcome with grief. You know, she really loved her stepfather quite a bit, and, you know, obviously she's, re like, wrecked because she watched him die, but when she hears the Pixie King imitating his voice so well, she loses herself and almost goes down there. That scene was actually almost interesting. It was, ooh, it was just kissing, ooh, just... A tiny touch just the tip of interesting just the tip it is but alas that did not pay off she ended up going oh wait he's dead you can't be real because she realizes like he wouldn't be talking to her the way he's talking to her that's not my real dad so that scene was super weird because the only thing that saved them was a flimsy door but she ends up getting kidnapped and then the other plot twist which I fucking saw a lot a fucking million miles away. <laughs> so I remember I told you she has two love interests. She has Nick, our werewolf, and Ian, the other guy. After her whole boo love and adventure with Nick for a while, you know, finding out he's a werewolf, we don't hear from Ian for a long ass time. Like when she goes to school, he's still sniffing around or still simping pretty hard, but we don't hear about him. So I'm thinking... Before we even get to this point, I had it in my mind, oh, Ian's probably a bad guy. I thought Ian was the King Pixie at first, but I was like, oh, well, maybe he's just a general bad guy. I was right. <laughs> she ends up getting kidnapped, and she finds out that Ian is a Pixie. He's like half Pixie, but he's a lower Pixie. So he's like, if I kiss you, you have King Pixie blood. Count how many times I have to fucking say Pixie. You have King Pixie blood. If I kiss you, that'll give me enough power that I can overthrow him and take on the, take up the throne, I guess. Like, I will be the King Pixie. <sighs> Yawn. And then you also find out that Megan, the person, that random mean girl that you barely even interact with, except for like maybe two or three times, I don't know, barely, you find out she's also a pixie and she didn't really hate Zara so much as wanted to lure her away so that, you know, they can fucking take her soul and make her queen pixie bitch and give Ian all the power. <sighs> Yawn. So <laughs> what ends up happening in that interaction? Betty, badass grandma du jour, comes in and fucking just kills him off screen, which is trash we don't even get to see that but she uh kills ian megan's dead too and they are able to escape that situation but then they walk into another situation later on okay this was another dumb thing here we go again i'm all over the place with this review but i think it's just because like this book was so frustrating to me and when i was looking over my notes for the show it just made me what like reread. I just ended up like rereading a bunch of different parts of the book, so it's still very fresh in my mind. So the other part was um, after this first encounter, where we find out Ian was a lion ass lion, cheetah the whole time. 
Um, fucking Zara gets left alone for some reason, even though we all know that she's being pursued by her pixie father, you know, King Daddy or whatever. Ugh, King Daddy, that sounded fucking disgusting. She's being pursued by King Daddy. She gets left alone and King Daddy comes through and explains, you know, if you don't come with me, I'll fucking kill everybody. So she's like, oh, well, sacrificial lamb time. She goes off with her dad and he reveals his nefarious scheme and how everything went down with her mom and is basically saying like, you need to get your mom here because that's who I really want. Obviously, because he was, she was saying like, oh, I was worried that you were going to pursue me. And he was like, ew, fuck, no, that's gross. You're my kid. I want your mom. Your mom is the ass that I want. I miss that bitch. Um, so she ends up having to, like, she does end up calling her mom and telling her what's going on. And her mom, I, to her mom's credit, to actually protect her daughter, she decides she's going to come to Maine. I mean, it's still a bad idea, but I appreciate the sentiment behind it, I guess. But she decides she's going to come to Maine. And while they're having this interaction and everything, um, her mom does eventually enter the scene and she's going to sacrifice herself. And the end is so hobbled together and anticlimactic, but they somehow end up trapping all of the pixies in this house. Like when... Zara is kidnapped when she's left by herself, when King Daddy comes and kidnaps her and takes her away and explains everything about her history and is like, you need to fucking bring your mom here. He takes her to this manor that's been glamored. It's like a mansion. Um, but it's glamored so that people who don't have uh, pixie blood can't see it. So they end up locking all of the pixies inside here, knowing that they're like extremely hungry and they by locking them there, they will destroy each other. So kind of fucked up <laughs> but she ends up locking them all in there and that's kind of where the story ends like her and nick are a romantic item because they at some point in the book made out i couldn't be fucked to go back to that scene but at some point in the book they make out and they're a romantic item and we have just like a a very much like spoiler alert for walking dead if you haven't seen the show but there's like um a weird locked shed situation with all these pixies there. It's just one wrong move away from unleashing chaos. And the book just ends and it doesn't even end in a way where I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. That opens it up for the sequel. Like it just ends really flatly. And if I didn't know already that there were sequels, I wouldn't have read it and been like, Oh, okay, cool. Well, I guess part two time. Like it's just so like hobbled together. This whole book felt rushed if I'm honest. Um, Normally, I like to go through more of this, but it's just, to be 100% honest, the reason why I haven't read a bunch of excerpts from this is because one of the other big issues with this book, the dialogue is awful. Absolutely awful. It's not awful in that it's like just super cringeworthy or anything like that. It's just boring. Like nobody, they don't talk like real people. Nobody talks to each other like they actually like each other, except for maybe Betty and Zara. Like when her and her grandmother talk, it's kind of cute, but the dialogue is so inauthentic and so boring and so weird. And you just fucking hate everyone. And you just want Betty to be the only person in the book after a certain point. Like, Maybe Devin can stay, but everyone just sucks so hard. Like, this is such a boring, this was absolutely a cash grab. Like, I hate to say it, 
I hate to say it, but Carrie Jones, I see what you were doing, Mama. You said, oh, it's 2008. Twilight is popping the freak off. Everybody's trying to get a little piece of that paranormal romance money. And she was trying to capitalize. And it's very, very clear. And it's unfortunate because I think that like, I guess to close out everything, we'll kind of wrap it up because I I can't even tell you any. (laughs) It's fucking ass. There was potential here. That's the thing that's such a bummer. Like, I'm going to go back to somebody I mentioned before, Holly Black. If you're not familiar with Holly Black's work, she is a phenomenal fantasy YA writer. And the first book I ever read of hers was called Tithe, I think. Yeah. And it was about like, like parent, it was about fairies and it was really, really well done. And she was, it was so unique. That was the thing that, that's the thing about Holly's work is she has an incredible imagination. She creates incredibly unique worlds and nothing, at least since I've read, I haven't read any of her super recent stuff, but like the last few things I've read of hers from a couple years ago, I never felt like I was being led by the hand down a trope, you know, like a trope pathway. (laughs) With this book, if I may paint a visual for you, it's kind of like you're playing a kid's board game. Like you're playing Candyland or something. It's very familiar, very formulaic. And you just, as you're reading, all you're really doing is like rolling a die or spinning, like flicking a spinner or pulling a card. And you just know, okay, cool. In like three paces, I'm going to be where we have our first encounter with the big bad. And then when I roll the die, if I roll an even number, oh cool, I get to kiss the first love interest. Like you just know exactly where the book is heading and it's really disappointing because Pixies, I've never encountered Pixies in a book before and I was interested in seeing something cool happen there. Like there is potential there. Um, You know, she didn't have to just turn Pixies into a whacker version of vampires. She could have really gone into the history of pixies because if you look into like um, myths about supernatural creatures, like from um, I guess not medieval times, but kind of in that like way back beyond that era, if you look at old mythology about woodland creatures like pixies and fae, they're scary as shit. And she really could have taken that and done something so interesting with it. And she just fumbled the fucking bag. I hope she made good money on this. I'm curious. Let me see. She had to make money because when I look at Goodreads, there's like 62,000 people have reviewed this. And when you look at Amazon, a little less than 500 have reviewed this one, like on here. So it's like she made money off of this. I hope I hope the checks were worth it, honey, because these were these were bad. She's got a bunch of other books too, but like I said at the beginning of the pod, I'm not gonna. <sighs> I really have to be in a in a in a in a humor, in a good humor, in a specific mood to read any more books in this series because it goes need, captivate, entice, endure. Um. Oh, I thought there were five. Okay, I can't find the fifth book for whatever. But yeah, I'm. if I may close, I guess, you know, after summarizing the whole thing and kind of expressing the good, the bad, and the fucking boring, this is not worth reading. Even for morbid curiosity, like this wasn't a fun, bad read. 
it got, once I got over the fact that this was going to be a bad book and I was mistaken in my assumption that it would be a decent one, it wasn't fun to read. Heartache High, at least it was so shitty. It was kind of funny or like me rereading my old shit. It's so shitty. It's funny. This was just frustrating and boring and an absolute slog to read. I'll be a hundred percent honest with you. I didn't pay for it either. I'm so fucking glad I didn't waste money. You know, I almost got this on a, um, I almost bought this for Kindle because I was just going to, you know, read it on my phone, um, read it on my tablet, just read it while I was at work. I'll be honest with you. I'm so glad I found this for free. I'm not going to tell you where, but <sighs> the moral of the story is Need by Carrie Jones is formulaic. It's boring. It's a bummer. It's a wasted opportunity. It's not fucking worth reading. And honestly, I can't even be asked to find you fun quotes from it because there aren't any really good lines. Most of the lines are just frustrating. Um, I feel it feels fucked up to leave it on that point. I almost I wanted to give you a line, but they're just they're just it's just poorly constructed, poorly written. Um. I will leave you with this though, because I saw a review for this that um, it started in a way that I super agree with. Oh my God. But it said, the line for it, like the subject line for the review says, writing needs improvement, character's not likable. And I absolutely believe it. It says, the writing style is very choppy. There are a lot of single word sentences. Sometimes it reads more like notes than an actual book. Details are a bit iffy. Some things are very well described, but other times the details are vague. I find that some of the highly detailed scenes could have done with less, and some of the more important scenes could have been expanded on. Transitions between scenes could also use some work, and the characters aren't very likable. I thoroughly agree. This book in terms of narrative voice, it read like a first draft that is in severe need of some quality editing and restructuring, maybe even a quick like focus group to help her wade through the shit that she injected this with. Like there, nothing felt consistent. You want a detail some places, but you got it in places you absolutely didn't need it. I'm still pretty confused by the good reviews on this. Ooh, quick bars. Ooh, y'all heard that shit? Confused on the good reviews. But yeah, I'm still gobsmacked over that. <sighs> I think instead of actually reading this book, read some of the reviews. Or if you want a shitty supernatural romance that is actually like better than this, reread Twilight. <laughs> And that's where I'm going to leave you with this week. I know I was all over the place. Hey man, ADHD is difficult, but <laughs> I enjoyed talking about this, even though I severely, I did not enjoy reading this. I think going into um, next episode, not this week coming, but the week after, I think I'm going to, I'm going to change up genres. I don't want to do paranormal romance. I'm about sick of that shit at this point now. Um, I'm going to try to find something a little bit more realistic and try to find something that's more fun bad than just rage inducing bad like this week. <laughs> but I hope y'all enjoyed. Um, definitely reach out YA nightmares at Gmail if you have any suggestions for me. But for now, I'm just, oh man, I'm, I'm weary and I got, I got to go to fucking bed. <laughs>
Y'all be safe. I'll see you in two weeks. This has been Koji, and this has been Why Nightmares. Bye-bye.